This is unstructured. Hey, welcome back. Today we have Amani Roberts, and he is of the Amani experience. He is a DJ. He left the corporate world after many, many years and a very successful career to pursue a dream. I think there are many of us who really want to pursue a dream ourselves. And I just want to thank you for being here, Amani. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me here with you today. I appreciate it. Now, I understand that um, we need to wish you a happy birthday a day late. <laughs> Thank you very much. We celebrated. I celebrated last night with some friends, so I appreciate that. <laughs> now, you have a, a really big range of experience in your background, and I, I may jump all over the place because I, I really like to learn different people. Now, first off, you, I understand, were a musician growing up. Correct. Yes. I grew up playing. Initially, I first started playing the flute, but I got kind of caught into peer pressure and the flute wasn't manly enough for me. So I went and <laughs> <laughs> switched quickly to the saxophone um, and then played the saxophone all through high school. Um, I played tenor and alto saxophone. So, yeah, I grew up doing that. So that helped with the women then? <laughs> it, gave, it leveled the playing field, shall we say. <laughs> now, am I incorrect? I was always told that the flute is actually one of the most difficult instruments and may have actually been beneficial toward your saxophone. It was. Um, it's not an easy instrument, and it really taught me the different note fingerings that allowed the, that translated over the saxophone. So when I switched over, I was ahead of the game. So it is a very challenging instrument, but I love the saxophone, so I was happy I made the switch. Cool. Now, um, in the flute, you're using mouth shapes and things like that in order to um, help um, create the note and the flavor. Do you do that um, with the saxophone as well, or is it strictly the reed that's doing all the work? It's a little bit of both. Uh, more control goes to the reed, but you do have to kind of twitch the mouth around. It's depending if you want to get high notes or low notes. So it really depends on where you're going in terms of the music you're reading. So it's a little of both for that. Okay, so you can color it. It's kind of like bending the string on a guitar when you're playing, exactly. but just doing it with your mouth? Yeah, exactly. The mouth and the breath and how maybe hard you're, you're blowing and maybe soft and how you accent things on like the staccato or the legato. So it just depends on the notes you're playing and how you want to share that with the people. Awesome. Now, I understand you also um, were in jazz band and fairly successful with that. Yes, I was in a jazz band at Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Spring, Maryland. We went to a national competition in New Orleans and won that. We released an album that went gold. So we, we were really good. We had some talented musicians in the jazz band. So it was an exciting time and it was it was fun, too. Uh, who, who are some of your influences, like Coltrane or do you have... So some of my favorite saxophone players, Stan Getz was one of my favorite. I kind of loved his work. Um, Charlie Parker is another one that we really loved as well. And then growing up, when I was growing up, David Sanborn was becoming really, really popular. So he was popular. Najee was also a really popular saxophone player. So those kind of three or four were some of my saxophone role models. Okay. Uh, do you Do you still play sax now? I do not. I more play my piano. I still have my saxophone in the closet, but I haven't pulled it out in over 10 years. So I would need to practice a good amount to be have an acceptable way of playing. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> okay. So how, how long have you been playing piano? So piano is now um, a little, it's about three and a half years. And I initially learned piano to help on my music theory because I do remixes for artists. You need to be able to hear 
what notes are playing so you can figure out what chord it is and then implement new chords and change it around. So I initially started taking piano lessons for that. I've been taking them every week now for like three and a half years and really learning the theory. And so, for example, my assignment for this week is I have to go through all my major scales, three octave triplets up and down and do that. And so that's just helping me hear the notes and then be able to play it. It helps with DJing because syncopation really is, is what the triplets are about. So it helps with that. And then I'm also working on a couple uh, minor scales also. So that's just kind of the music theory and my piano practice as well. I practice every day for between 35 to 45 to 60 minutes when I can fit it in. And that's my daily practice right there. It's very cool. And you mentioned remixes for artists. So I want to go down this path. Um, <laughs> Because I've always been curious uh, how that worked. Like, do they, do the artists seek you out and say, hey, can you do something with this? Or do you seek out the artists and say, God, I love that song. I've got some ideas for that song. And yeah. you take it from there. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of actually all three examples you gave. So, for example, when we first started, I have a remix partner I work with. We would find a song we liked. And we kind of create like a bootleg remix and send it and share it. So that allowed us to build a catalog. Then we would also enter into remix contests. Remix contests are like when artists would seek us out. They seek us and other DJs and music producers out. They say, here's my song. I want to create a remix for it. You know, have at it and see what you can do. So then they give us the stems. So when they say the stems, that means they give us all the different parts of the song on an individual track. So it could be the guitar, uh. the drum, the vocals, the ad-libs, the strings, the snare, and then you can take it and manipulate it and change up the rhythm, the drum beat, the tempo, everything, and you can then submit it for to win, but also they allow you to share it because it gives them more publicity. So we started to do that, and now we're to the stage where now... Artists are now seeking us out to do remixes for them. So it's like that's part of the process. So then they'll send us all the stems and we can do it. And, they, you know, you get paid. We submit the remix. They create a, um, a video, put it on Spotify, iTunes. So those are the three different ways that we kind of create remixes now. It's fun. I love it. It's great. That's so cool. I know that was actually you answered my question before I could ask if they gave you the raw material, a, a tracks. So you called it stems and I learned a new word. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, how did you do it with bootleg though? Because you don't have the separate components of the song. So do you literally just chop it to little tiny pieces and, and, and kind of fake your way through it or edit it down? How do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is we would pick, so if there's a song that has like a lot of um, drum and bass, specifically the drums, we would use either an EQ3 or an EQ8, which are these um, plugins in Ableton Live, which is the software we use to create the remix. We try to turn down as much of the drums as we can, so it kind of blends it out. And then we add our drums on top of it so that we can just create a new beat. And other times we'd pick remixes or songs that have more of like a acoustic feel to it so you take like an acoustic slow song we want to add some drums and some more rhythm to it so we can play it in the bar or the club and we do that as well so between those two tactics that would allow us to create a remix but really we use the eq3 or the eqa to take out the drums blend it out then maybe we hear pieces of a kick drum later in the song we want to use we chop that up add that and put that on the you know one two three four we find a snare that we like or maybe we have other sources we can get a different snare you add that on like the two and the four just to start out with a framework and then you start adding in little pickups and little pickups here and there and silence and then we're off and running 
That's cool. So do you reach into um, different genres or genres? Jesus, genres. <laughs> what is a genre? It's, it's a machine. Um, like Avicii, I think, did some really interesting creative stuff where he kind of got country yeah. and mixed it together, I guess, sort of like Rednecks did back in the day. But do you reach to different sources like that, like dig deeper maybe outside of the um, popular music? Yes. What um, one of the remixes um, that I did early on was um, "Little Big Town Girl Crush." It's a country song, but we made it more of like a pop kind of R and B song. So we've done that before, uh, which turned out really great. I mean, it's real basic remix, but I love it. It does well. We've taken like you know a pop song or an R and B song and made it more like a tropical house with a Latin feel. So we add the Latin rhythm to it, which does well also. Hmm. Um, so those are kind of the ways you can switch genres and it makes it fun. We've made, we did, we just recently did one. We entered into a contest. So it was more like a hip hop song, but we kind of made it more Latin as well. And so, you know, just kind of hopping around and changing up the genres and the rhythm patterns makes it fun for us. And it's different for the listener and the artist likes it. Cause then it allows them to break into other, genre that that might not have anticipated they would be able to get into as well so that's really cool so it it is not a um super competitive type of thing it's actually very collaborative then with the artists yes in terms of the remix contest there's people all over the world that are really active and extremely talented that do remixes we've entered in a, a bunch of them we don't think we've won any yet we've come close but it's collaborative with the artists. We're still in quote unquote competition with the other music producers, but really, you know, if you put all your artwork out there, it's fine. Like there's more than enough space for all of us. So it's really collaborative with artists because they get the benefit of another version of their song that will introduce them as an artist to new listeners. So it's a win-win for them, especially in our opinion. How do the royalties work for them though? When you enter a remix contest, most of the time, you give up any option for royalties. It's really just for exposure. Okay. There's some contests that will share royalties with you. So it depends. So it's a little of both. But most of the time, if we're doing the remix for them, we might be able to get a release on their record label and get the promotion and everything, which counts a lot as well. Sometimes you'll get royalties, but most of the time not. And how about the artist? Because some artists may be protective of their material and say, yeah, you can remix it, but uh, we want we want to be paid. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the pop artists, that's how it goes. There's some other up and comings that are more open to sharing, but most of the popular artists keep everything. Hmm, OK. How, how do you feel um, changing gears on the state of music right now and, and Spotify and um, streaming? programs right. etc yeah spotify i'm a big spotify user i think that music is very cyclical so it goes in cycles i um think there's a lot of creativity out there a lot of great musicians the challenge that i see is that well back in the day they used to have what was called payola which means you would kind of pay radio stations to play this artist a lot that became illegal but now there's still different ways where people do that where they work and have influence with people who make the Spotify playlist, which is what most of the people kind of hear. So I think that for the up and coming artists, you really have to work hard to get your music in front of different people, whether it be DJs, radio hosts, blogs, different people who have maybe influential Spotify playlists. So a lot of the concepts are still the same as how it was before back in the day. It's just you have to be creative. And I do think that some of the more talented artists nowadays have to fight even harder to get their music heard. It's just um, you just got to hustle and get in the right hands and keep producing art 
And if you're good, eventually you'll rise to the top. I feel it just might take a little longer. You have to be a little bit more creative. It's funny. Would I be incorrect in saying that um, records, it's old fashioned, have kind of come full circle? And by that, I mean, in the, I believe, 50s, when the 45s came out, they were really a tool, a promotional item for people to hear a band coming to town. And they would hear that on the radio and then go see the concert and the musicians would earn their living, not based on the 45s, but actually based on the concert. Then the 45s and the albums became a big source of income in addition to the concerts. And now we're back to where they're not really earning a whole lot off of the music unless they license it to something, but they're using it as promotion for people to come see them live. Yeah, I think what we've learned now is that most musicians make the majority of their revenue from going on tour. So it'd be like concerts, you know, playing shows, selling merchandise. Those are the big ways to make money. You can make some money through streaming services, but it's very you have to get a lot of streams to get some revenue. Um, But you also mentioned another factor in terms of licensing. So now there's so much content out there, whether it be with Netflix or Hulu and movies and TV shows that what. It's really happening. And even web series like artists, if you can get your music licensed and placed on these shows, that's another it's not new, but it's becoming a more popular way of getting revenue streams, just building that revenue stream because licensing is becoming bigger with so much content. So that's another way where artists can earn revenue besides going on tour and playing shows. Music licensing is growing into a legitimate source as well. Cool. Now, you've taken it to another place by DJing. And you've actually built that into your own company, correct? Correct. (laughs) Now, is a lot of um, your income from corporate gigs, things like that, which is sort of tying your past life with your current life? Yeah, um, I'd say probably a little bit more than half of the revenue that I get is from doing corporate gigs, wide ranging gigs. Like it could be holiday parties. It could be grand openings for different venues. It could be corporate celebrations, meetings where they need like an MC or music for walk up, walk down. Um, That's kind of the majority. I even have a team building activity that I do where it's like you go to retreats and instead of doing your traditional team building activity, we, we do like a DJ lesson built around the team building, which is very exciting and fun. Um, I just did that for a large corporate client a couple of days ago. So that's the majority. I also do social events, whether it be parties, weddings, and then I teach people how to DJ individually lessons or group classes. So corporate is a very nice portion of our revenue. Definitely. Team building event, would an example of that be like, Maybe you find a track and then all the different people would put in their ideas on how to change the track or whatever. So it could be a, a community track. So the team building, it works like, say, you know, we have a group of like 15 people. You're a part of the 15 people. We come into a room. You have turntables set up. We're going to go through a DJ lesson. The first step is I'm going to say, OK, let's figure out your DJ name. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, okay, tell me a little bit about stuff. Let's figure out a DJ name. So I'm going to ask you right now, if we're thinking, what would your DJ name be? I'll give you a couple examples. I always use these names as examples. Like I have a really close friend. She's a dentist. So she made her DJ name Flossie, DJ Flossie. I have another um, DJ friend. His name is Mr. Chalk, just because, you know, he's like, you know, African, brown skin, African-American man. It just fits for him. Another person, V Fresh. Another one, you have all these, or it can be your first name. You know, it can be just, you know, first name, last name. This is your DJ name. So if I'm asking you right now, we're thinking, 
what do you want your DJ <laughs> name? What do you want your DJ name to be? Have no idea. Broken E. I don't know. <laughs> we can I'm say unstructured, that as well. Right? <laughs> yes. It could be DJ unstructured, you know, or unstructured. <laughs> don't even have to have a DJ in front of it. And so we go around with people, we help them come up with the DJ name because that's like marketing and branding. And so that's a good exercise. Then people will get behind the turntables and do a couple scratches here and there because many times, nine out of 10 people are scared to touch the turntable. So we get them over that quick bit of fear because that's a big part, as you know, about getting through creativity is getting through the fear to make it happen. So we get them through that. Then they pick their debut song. So then I would come back to say, okay, if you're going to be DJing, you know, at a club and say, you know, you're in the Hampton area. So we'll go down to Miami. So you're going to go down to Miami and and have your debut at a club in Miami. What's the first song that you're going to play that's going to tell the audience something about you? And so Hmm. you'd pick pick a song. Do you have, does a song come to mind right now? Um, Becoming Insane by Infected Mushroom. Okay, so that's the song you're going to drop right in there on your debut song. And then the third step is that we then get you working on the microphone. And as you know, people are more afraid of getting and speaking in public than they are of dying. So we work through that fear because <laughs> a lot of thing about teamwork is being honest, getting through fear. So we get them on the microphone and introduce themselves with their DJ name, their debut song. We play it. And then we just build the team building activity from there. We go on. We have different games. One of the games that's most popular is where were you when? So we'll play a song that's based on the demographics of the group, the age range. We'll play a song that's popular. It could be something like, um, you know, maybe Earth, Wind, and Fire, September, Madonna. It could be a Madonna song, Borderline. And you talk about where were you when you heard this song. And what comes up is a lot of like emotions and people have memories. Mm-hmm. So they're sharing and think you'll learn about things that you might not have even known about your peer that you've been working with for 10 years. And so we just follow that path all the way along. It's a 60, like usually a 90 to 120 minute exercise. And it's just really great. People love it. It's really unique. And I'm just trying to spread the word. Cool. You um, should franchise it kind of like uh, art night. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah. oh, no, I'm sorry. Paint night. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. Tell me about it. Um, paint night is where a bunch of people get together, like in a restaurant or a club on an off night. It can be a Monday night or whatever. And there will be a leader and they will pick a design, a particular painting. It won't be super complex. And they will walk everybody through recreating and painting that. And it's a great activity for couples and things like that together to get an opportunity to create in a nice setting, bunch of drinking, having just really a good time and creating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll think about that. That's a good idea. Thank you. Sure. You franchise it out and then uh, you'll be DJing on your own yacht. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> now, with this, I, I find it fascinating because I feel like every bit of our background is important. Even though we may leave it, that doesn't mean there wasn't value we created while we were doing it. And I would question, how does your experience, you worked at Marriott for 20 years, and I think you left as a, a director of marketing I left, I was regional director of sales and marketing. Myself and a colleague were managing, I think it was like 19 different hotels, the sales and marketing efforts for those hotels. That's my last position with Marriott. Yes. Okay. How does that experience inform you now? It's um, the influence it has on my business now has been tremendous. It teach it. I use so much of what I learned in Marriott, whether it be customer service, you know, handling, you know, both happy customers as well as maybe customers are a little more challenging. I learned about that. I learned about how to budget and forecast, which is very important. Just trying to stick to the numbers and make your 
follow trends and see what's picking up in the month for the month, what's not. Um, and then in terms of like contracts and just sales, I learned all of my sales abilities at Marriott. And so just, just invaluable, just how to network with other people, how to kind of follow the sales funnel process, whether it comes a prospect, then you have a hold and then it confirmed. So everything that I learned from Marriott applies to my business now. It's provided me with a really strong foundation with how to run the business. And it's just up to me now to continue that education and continue to learn because I still need to learn new ways of doing things. But Marriott and my experience in the hospitality industry just offers me a really strong foundation for my business now. So that's fantastic. And it actually probably gives you a leg up because you're an aspiring artist who happens to have a marketing expert standing by to help push your message forward. Definitely. Definitely. I still, I have to learn new ways of marketing like social media and doing that is something that I'm always learning, but the traditional marketing, really building relationships. I learned that through Marriott and that's been invaluable now because through volunteering on different associations and being active on boards, that's building relationships. And that's a skill I learned in Marriott that I'm applying now. And by doing that, I'm planting different seeds that are growing, you know, whether it be in a month, a year, two, three years. But that relationship building and network, I definitely learned and was able to practice in Marriott, too. I want to get into networking. You've shared an African proverb in the past that I thought was um, particularly profound. And I was hoping you could do it today and we could go down that path a little. Sure. The proverb, one of my favorite kind of quotes or proverbs is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And basically, I interpret that to be like, if you want to go and do your own thing, you can probably get somewhere very quickly, but you'll you'll get to a certain point, you won't be able to go any further. But if you want to go far and have like ultimate success and really, really kind of level up and continue to grow and duplicate, you're going to have to get some help. You cannot do it alone. That was a lesson that took me a while to learn as well, but you can't do it alone. You need a team of people. You need a strong tribe of people supporting you, giving you honest feedback. So that's why that kind of proverb means so much to me personally. Yeah, that and also, I think you've um, stated it before, but we're social animals and it's very lonely (laughs) um, trying to launch on a particular endeavor. Have you found that? Absolutely. This uh, entrepreneurship, it can be a lonely, lonely world, especially when you're working from home. You could go you know, days without really seeing or talking to someone. So I try to add in different activities that get me out, but definitely like it's a lonely world. And so you really have to focus on continuing to be consistent and trying to get around people and talking to people, whether it be on the phone, via Skype or video chat in person, just joining different organizations. I think that's very, very important to your mental health and then your, your professional health and you're having a successful business as well. Now, one thing I've found, um, ironically, I'm a podcaster, so I'm talking to everybody, (laughs) but I'm also introverted. And this is not unusual for podcasters. Many, many podcasters I've spoken to are actually extremely introverted. When I'm out in public, I'm very shy. How do you recommend overcoming this and actually networking with people? I recommend joining like a consistent networking group where it meets in a consistent basis. So it kind of forces you to get out of the house like every week. Like when I was first starting, I joined BNI, which is Business Network International. You meet every week at a certain time. It 
you have to meet with the different people in the group. So that will really force you to get out and about. I also join and I'm a member of Meeting Planners International, which is the Southern California chapter, which is another uh, association that works on networking and career growth and education. So if you join these organizations, it kind of gets you out and talking to people on a consistent basis. I think that you know, going to conferences and just educating yourself, like, you know, both you and I were at Podcast Movement in Philly this year, like even for an introvert. And I went to Podcast Movement, I knew no one. I'm a little bit less of an introvert, still have some occasions when I am, but you go to a conference when you know no one and you just know that just by sitting next to someone, you're going to meet people and talk. If you're able to put yourself, have the courage to put yourself out there and go to a conference and meet people, that's a great step. So if you have a combination of Consistent weekly meetings. I'll also add in if you're able to maybe create a mastermind or join a mastermind group in your area, that's also beneficial as well as very beneficial, actually. So if you're able to do one of those three things and then also attend conferences or seminars where you're out learning and networking, so it's like you're kind of killing two birds with one stone, I think it's very effective and will help introverted people meet people and maybe come out of their shell a little bit. Um, because it's okay to be introverted, but we still need to grow our business and learn. So if you can do two things at once, I think that's a massive advantage to you. Well, cool. And how important was it for you to meet people to move forward and actually break away? I would not be in the state now or have the business that I have now if I did not network. It's a lot of it is is who you know. It's so funny. I had a client just this past couple of days ago that I saw. I didn't even realize that she was the lead on this group group that I worked at this resort over here in Los Angeles. And she showed up. She's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. I was like, yes, I'm here. And so it's just that commonality as well. Then I'm networking with someone. They refer me to someone else who sends me to someone else who books me. And so it's just like it's just like a trail of, of leads and of people. So it's all about who you know, and you you have to like meet people. And then I refer other people to other people as well. So if you give, you know, you'll get a lot back in return. And so I just, I would definitely not be as far as I am with my business right now, if it wasn't for the networking. And then once you meet people, just building genuine or authentic relationships as well. That's one thing I found. Um, and it's been compounded through this podcast. Have you observed that everybody is actually kind of amazing and they don't know it. <laughs> yes. They have to tap into the power within, but there's some extremely like amazing people, intelligent, creative people, but many of them just don't realize it yet. So, you know, just have to get out there and try to put your art out there and meet people. And maybe you get inspired by seeing someone do something like, Oh, I can do that. And then all of a sudden you look up a year later and you're, you're on your way up. You've leveled up a couple of times and just keep growing. So, I agree with you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I found that where if I just keep digging and keep talking, all of a sudden stuff comes out. And it's like, why are you burying that lead? That's just (laughs) amazing. That's so crazy. That is so wild. And and it's everyone. It really is everyone. Not not just one person. You know, some people wear it a little bit more on their T-shirt so you can get to it. (laughs) A lot of other people who are very deep, tend to not even think about what they've done because it's just an experience. It's just something they did. They don't realize how profound and inspiring that may be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Sometimes people it's fear, like fear holds us back. Like it took me, you know, three or four years to really leave my corporate job to pursue DJing when I had had the idea 
10 years ago. And so it's just fear and, you know, people just need to continue to be encouraged and encouraged to be courageous. And once you take that first step, then you'll see that it might not be as hard as you thought it would be. Of course, it won't be easier, but it'll be better down the way. Not to push back a little bit, but maybe that three or four years were necessary because I, I kind of worry that there's a, a real entrepreneur push out there right now saying, live your dream, man. You got to take the chance and you got to quit. and You got to go. And if you go too quickly, yeah, you'll be living your dream on the street in a cardboard box. Yeah, you, well, you do have to make necessary, uh, <laughs> you know, not backup plans, but make sure you have kind of your funds in order and you have a plan in place and maybe start like I started on the side for maybe I think I started on the side for like four years before I went full time. So definitely, you know, kind of build it up so where it makes sense to take the leap and then go for it. But definitely kind of you know, start on the side and build it up so that it's comfortable and it's, you're not just leaping on complete faith. You have a plan in place and some backup revenue that will be there for you. I think you've mentioned before that you, um, for at least for a while, did some other side things too. Would you say your journey maybe was a reversal where you had your full-time job and you had your side hustle and then you flipped it over time to where your hustle was your main occupation, but you did side work to help kind of prop it up or, or keep it going forward. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of, of looking at it. Like, you know, I had my full-time corporate job and working on the side and then I kind of retired, left that. And then I had my DJ business and I do a little freelance writing. Um, and now I also teach. So I had the teaching part in there as well at um, Cal State Fullerton. So I do that uh, one day a week and then you have to grade papers the other days. So that kind of, I did learn with Marriott that with Marriott, I put all my eggs in one basket. And I found that in the economy, especially now, like jobs can be eliminated very quickly and you have to reapply. So I said, when I recreate and reinvent myself, I'm going to be sure that I don't put all my eggs in one basket. So I definitely make sure I have different streams of income. So if DJ business is going slowly, I have some other things that will allow me to keep the machine running because I'm a DJ at my core. But I definitely need to keep the machine running so I could pay my bills and continue to invest in myself so that, you know, in the long run, my business will continue to grow. So I kind of flipped it up and added a couple of different revenue streams and continue to view and see um, what other revenue streams I can add that will just allow me to grow, but also be selective in terms of the type of business that I take. Because I don't want to take every um, lead in terms of a DJ because there's some groups or business that's not good. So it allows me to be a little bit selective as well. That makes sense. How is it a marketing yourself as an individual versus marketing for an organization? Or do you, in fact, treat Armani experience as an organization and just focus that way? I treat it as an organization because I have other DJs that work with me that I hire out, that I collaborate with, that maybe if I'm booked for a certain group um, at this time and I have another lead that I'm going to take, I'll hire out another DJ that works with me. So I treat it as an organization. I just find that Specifically, since I'm a smaller business than I was used to working at with a large company, I think that I really have to make the connection with people in terms of me, like they're buying me, they're buying my brand. And so if I can continue to build a strong relationship, then I can build trust. And once I build trust, they'll try to use us. It goes well. They'll continue to use us. So it's really just about marketing myself as a brand. And then when people use us, making sure the experience is good, very positive, and then building that uh, reliability and trust and moving forward that way. Okay. That's, that's really smart. It makes me think of something I've kind of discovered over time 
and it sounds like you discovered it immediately. I wanted to market unstructured as its own entity and hide. And I think that many, many, many people want to have a show or have a thing and then just hide behind it. But in reality, they need to market themselves because they're the only differentiator from everybody else. Yeah, that's true. Like people when they buy, they're buying or they're listening for you, like they're buying you. And so once they learn to trust you or me, then they're going to, if we launch a podcast and, you know, like instructor, they're going to trust that you, because they know, like, and trust you. Anytime you have a guest on the show, anytime you have a solo show, they're going to know it's going to be good. And they're going to come to it automatically because of you. So you, you and I, we are the faces of our brand. So we have to kind of get out there, let it be known, let people get to know us both on a business wise, but also a little personally, because people love to know about people personally, just you know, what makes them tick, where they come from, how they got to where they are right now. People like people's stories. So I think that that's just what we have to do is we are the face of our brands. We can't really hide, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you have a smaller staff, like people want to know who's behind the curtain, so to speak. And so if you can kind of be the face of the brand, but still be yourself and people will respect that and they'll like, know, like, and trust you even more. How, did you ever suffer imposter syndrome or worry about that? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I'm in an industry where there are some phenomenal DJs. Like there are some skilled DJs who can do all sorts of different tricks and just perform. They perform at these massive venues and they're like, I call them my peers. They're my peers. We're at camps together. We're doing shows together. And so that's that's tough because, you know, I have a different style. I might not be able to be as skilled in terms of like some of the turntablism that they do and some of the mixing they do. But, you know, I have my own strength as well. And so just really try to keep working on my strengths and not compare, which is very difficult. And, you know, don't let the imposter syndrome prevent me from moving forward. Like it's going to be there, but just kind of, you know, appreciate it deal with it and don't let it paralyze me or stop me from moving forward in terms of performing, in terms of the gigs I take, in terms of the, the DJs that I collaborate with and just keep moving forward and learning and just view everything as a learning opportunity. And that's, that'll help me get through the imposter syndrome, which is out there for sure. Did Scratch Academy help with that a little too? get some um, credibility through education and make you feel like, okay, no, I, I'm, able to be out here. I, I belong more out here because I've been opening for a particular DJ for a while. I've paid my dues. I've gone to school, things like that. Definitely. Scratch Academy was um, a turning point for my DJ career. I went back twice. The first time I went was for DJ school and I'm up there with famous DJs. Like I mentioned, Mr. Chalk before, DJ Revolution, Hoppa, um, Be Fresh, Dosa. Some of really, really famous and popular and extremely talented DJs were there as my instructors. And I had went after I'd already been DJing. So I really had to kind of you know, tear down my fundamentals and build them up again. You go through the program. It's like a year long program. You have to pass classes to keep going on. And for me, I had been, you know, an overachiever in life. Like I played like, you know, college soccer. I'd won state awards playing soccer. I'd been like in the jazz band. We spoke about starting a business general manager at age 23. So I'd been kind of an overachiever, a high achiever for most of my life. And I get to this school and I was a little older. I think I was like 32, 33 when I was there. There were kids there that were like 15 or 16 that were better than me. They were better than me at DJing at that age. So you get a little intimidated there. And you go through the program. To pass the program, you have to get like 400 out of 500 points to pass. My first time through, I'd been through six classes. I get 
398 points out of 500. It means I'm two points away from passing. They didn't pass me. They failed me. So, you know, it's quite humbling. It's like a smack in the face. And at that point, I had to choose, okay, do I want to come back again, swallow my pride? Because everyone knows you didn't fail. It's not a secret. It's very, very obvious. Or do I just want to take my ball and go home? So, you know, I made that one decision, which is a turning point because I decided, okay, I'm going to come back again. I'm going to, you know, stay all in. I'm going to repeat the last class. You just, have to re- you just have to repeat the last class. So I'm going to repeat the last class. And I ended up doing that, getting one of the highest scores ever in passing. But that point, the attending the whole school as one and the point where I had to repeat the final class was extremely humbling. But it was probably the best thing for my career, even to this day, because as Mr. Chalk said, it allowed me to keep my feet on the ground, not get too big headed. And it just kept me hungry. Like, I know that I have to keep practicing. I have to keep programming. I have to keep researching and digging and working because, you know, I can't believe my own receipt, so to speak. Like, I still need to work and I can't get too high on myself. And that was just an extremely valuable lesson. And so Scratch Academy was a turning point. I went back again for the music production school. This time I passed it all the way through. I didn't have to repeat anything. But that was a great launching point that then got me to doing music production so Scratch Academy was was life-changing the time I was there. I met some of my now close friends there, met my remix partner there as well. So just the networking that I got there, the education, and then the skills that they taught us allows us to be ahead of the majority of DJs that are out there right now. That's really cool. And I love how you brought up the failure. I kind of feel like if you passed it, maybe you would not treasure it as much. Um, I'm a runner and I've done marathons and I will say there's a dirty secret. Most runs suck. (laughs) You feel better about yourself after doing them, but during they really kind of hurt. They, they suck. You'll have this one out of five runs or whatever that just feels so awesome with everything clicking. And the rest of the time, it's not quite right or it hurts a little, or you're definitely forcing it or you're pushing it. And I can't help but think, yep, this is that same junkie looking for that one good run. (laughs) And I'm drawing a a parallel there that perhaps if you had passed, you would not be as passionate as you are now because it was ripped away from you. You're like, no, that's mine. And you fought so hard to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Like that just keeps me hungry, keeps my feet on the ground and it doesn't let me get too comfortable. And so because of the fact that I'm not as comfortable, I'm always hustling. I'm always wanting to learn more to improve. I'm always wanting to meet more people and learn from them. So it just, it keeps me hungry. And that happened over five years ago. And I'm still like, I'm I'm not nervous that I'm not going to pass, but I still remember it very clearly how I felt driving home, being in front of my peers who did pass and saw I didn't pass. Like, it was very humbling, very humbling. Well, and that's actually a, a great message to wrap it up on. Um, what do you have coming up? Well, what's in the future? So the future, of course, just creating and releasing more remixes. We have a couple more that are we're working on now that are just exciting. I'm excited about the progress we're making um, and just more shows around the L.A. area. And then really, I'm also focused on promoting the team building activity that I spoke about. I just want to continue to do that for different retreats, corporate conventions, breakout sessions, and then individuals, corporate offices that want to do some team building. So I'm really trying to promote that. 
Um, and then, of course, I like you, I do a podcast every week. I talk to people who followed a similar path to me in terms of they've used to work for corporate America or really, you know, just work for someone else and have decided to go and pursue a more creative venture. And so I, I, um, I have that podcast as well. And then, you know, this teaching at Cal State Fulton is keeping me busy. I teach entertainment and hospitality finance. I love to teach both kid, people to students learning how to DJ, whether it be 10-year-old students or 65-year-old students. So to be in a classroom with college students is just amazing. I love it. And so that's exciting as well. So that's kind of what I got going on right now. Well, fantastic. Now, where can everybody follow you so they can, you know, get behind your path? There you go. On all socials, it's just at Amani Experience. So it's A-M like Mary, A-M like Nancy I, the word experience. So it's all one word. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all the social media platforms. Um, my website is ImaniExperience.com. And the podcast that I have is called The Amani Experience Podcast. You can find it on like iTunes, Android, everywhere. And people just reach out to me. I promise I'll, you know, respond back and start a dialogue. But, you know, just I appreciate you having me on the show and being able to share part of my story. And I look forward to staying in touch as well. Absolutely. And thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown. Shut up and sit down. Hey, it's Sarge. And Frenzy. From the Sarge Approved Podcast. Uh, If you're not familiar... The Sergeant Proof Podcast has a guest every episode featuring uh, people like actors, comedians, uh, survival experts, authors, martial arts experts, basically a whole gamut of badass people. Yes. And you can check out all our episodes on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spreaker, uh, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, and you can check us out on all our social media, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, all the things. It's all at Sarge Approved. Yep. Check it out, and we hope you enjoy it. Bye.